1: This is the Unplayable Podcast brought to you by MasterCard. On today's episode, we preview the fifth Ashes test match at the Oval and recap the fourth test at Old Trafford where Australia secured the Ashes with a 185-run win to take a 2-1 series lead. Here to review all the action is cricket.com.au senior writer Andrew Ramsey.
2: Thank you, Sam.
1: And cricket.com.au elite content producer Callum Kanonyik. G'day, Sam. Is that the right title? Sure. That's right yeah. with it. Okay. You're back. How long has it been?
3: Some would say too long. Uh, but in reality, it's been what? Probably just under 12 months. Yeah.
1: Steve Smith making an appearance at the SCG. What What's he been
3: that? up to lately? No, we'll get into it. Okay.
1: We're going to start off the episode. You don't know this, cow, but we start off every episode with our MasterCard moment. My MasterCard moment of the week has got to be our friend Steve Smith who scored a magnificent double hundred his third in Ashes test matches 211 made 82 in the second innings doing it easy uh, breaking all kinds of records we'll get to that a little bit later but uh, had a slice of luck you make your own luck when you're out there for so long but uh, Steve Smith incredible Callum have you got a MasterCard moment? I do I'm going to go with uh,
3: fast bowling extraordinaire Pat Cummins and that delivery late on day four to get Joe Root mm. the kind of ball that probably would have even got Steve Smith out um, but just an extraordinary piece of fast bowling it's the kind of thing that uh, it was instantly compared to Ryan Harris's delivery in 2013 at the wacko the kind of ball that just gets that innings going for Australia with the ball and really um, you know there's been a lot of talk about momentum in this Ashes series and if it exists it instantly went to Australia on that last uh, last evening
1: rookie Pony doesn't think Momentum exists in cricket and this test series has proven that.
3: Certainly between tests, yeah. But I think that kind of thing can really uh, give a team a lift late in the day and that that certainly happened. It was almost game over from that point, wasn't
1: it? It was. What's better, the Harris ball or the Cummins ball?
3: Well, I mean, it was compared straight (laughs) away, wasn't it? But then you rewatched that Harris ball and you soon realise that that was quite possibly the best ball that's ever been bowled. so (laughs) Ever. 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 I'm going with it. Okay. Tell me a better ball that's been bowled in the history of Test cricket and I'll
2: argue. Ball of the century? Yeah, Warnie's just rung, rung in, actually, so <laughs> yeah. he wants to have a chat.
1: All right, Rambo, you got a MasterCard moment?
2: Uh, yes, I'm going with the fast bowling theme as well. Uh-huh. I'm going with the final ball of the match, the Josh Hazelwood LBW. It was just so very kind of modern cricket, wasn't it, that they, they went up for the appeal, the LBW shout against Craig Overton, and the umpire gave it out and suddenly the game just stops. For about 30 seconds, 60 seconds while it's reviewed and the whole Ashes contest is decided by people watching a video screen. They're all just standing there at sort of on the edge of the wicket block watching the TV. I thought that was just a great moment of theatre, wasn't it? Then when it's given out, they all embraced as they'd done a minute earlier. Or well, they get two parts of their cherry, don't they? They get to celebrate
1: once and then when the DRS comes through and confirms it all. It really gives you a minute to kind of perfect that
3: celebration.
1: It's the iconic moment. So you've got a, a whole minute to really nail it. You know, it's funny you say that because I watched the replay and you notice that Tim's Payne runs straight at spider Cam. He would have that thing. what am I going to do? Everyone else is jumping around. But he runs straight through, fist pumping, yells at, the, yells at the spider Cam, and then rejoins his teammates. So maybe he was thinking of that while the uh, the DRS stuff was going on.
2: I also noticed that the entire team was looking at one screen, but Nathan Lyon was looking at the other. He was actually f- had his back to the screen that everyone else was looking at. I thought there may have been something in that, but I asked him about it and it was just, no, he just couldn't be bothered turning around. <laughs> That's true. All right, we're going to be at our 3-2-1 votes for the test match. Uh,
1: is it so obvious that Smith gets three? He was the man of the match, but, I mean, was did anyone really get close to him? No. 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 <laughs> Okay, so it's a, it's a uh, playoff between uh, Cummins and Hazelwood for the two and the one vote. Uh, there are some other good performances. Mitch Starc took four wickets and got an unbeaten fifty. Tim Payne finally amongst the runs, good for him. Uh, more runs for Rory Burns for England, but Australia won that game, so probably have to go with the Aussies. Cummins or Hazelwood, both uh, instrumental in different innings. Who are we going to give the the two votes to?
2: I think you have to go alphabetical order. I think it's the only way you can decide these things. Cummins, two. Hazelwood, one. Mm.
3: Just to be controversial, I'll I'll flip it. I'll go with Hazelwood as a two, Cummins as a one. I've almost been blown away by how good Hazelwood has been this series. Obviously, missed that first test, but since he's come back, he's been relentless. Maybe dropped off a little bit in that second innings at Headingley, but um, besides that, just been phenomenal in terms of his areas. He's got some good movement through the air and just constantly chipped away. And I think at Old Trafford particularly, um, you know, he he got the rewards in that first innings, but he was just he was just always at England.
1: We've got to split it. Let's give him one and a half votes each. Sound right?
2: Can you do that? Will the auditor's happy with that? We can do whatever we want. Let's give it to him.
1: Okay, talking about uh moments of the match, the turning point, uh fairly comprehensive win by Australia. then went to the last hour. But where do you think it really started going the Australian, Australians' way? I've got a couple of uh, possible turning points here. Steve Smith out on that no ball. Jack Leach, Cardinal sin for a spinner to overstep. Score was uh, well, 6 for 271 at that point. And then uh, Smith uh, gets where a reprieve and goes on and makes nearly another 100 more runs. Uh, the golden duck for Joe Root. Callum, you mentioned that. Um, if, it's, if England were going to get out of that game, they would have had... Needed a long innings from their captain. He lasted one ball. Uh, could we even go back before the game's even started and say that even Steve Smith coming back into the game was the turning point because England have only won one match this series. It's when Steve Smith wasn't there. Uh, maybe that lifted the team. And then, of course, another Steve. Steve War. He misses the third test. Australia go down. They bring him straight back in. All of a sudden, they're pulling off these heroic victories in the last hour of the day.
2: Coincidence?
1: Mm. I think not. There might be a Steve effect there. What do we think? What, what's, the, what's the turning point? Rambo, you
2: think you've got this one? Uh, well, I, I guess the, the last day always stays fresh in your mind, doesn't it? And I just think that moment where Tim Payne called Manus Labuschagne to the bowling crease, and it wasn't like it wasn't getting desperately fraught at that point. Like there was still a lot of overs to bowl in the day, but there were a few clouds around, and people were starting to mumble about bad light and perhaps the players would go off and maybe not get back on. Um, they had that stubborn partnership between Overton and Jack Leach, the uh, the very, very highly credentialed tailender. And uh, Manos, who doesn't bowl a lot in Test cricket, has come on for one over and landed it just as his mentor, Shane Warne, told him he should, and uh, sure enough, got the breakthrough. So that was inspired, or it was very brave. Either way, it worked.
1: You've ignored all my suggestions. You've gone with the love of Shane Warne. Fair enough. Callum, you're going to go rogue as well? I am. Is that all right? <laughs> yeah, of course you it. I'm
3: going to go with Steve Smith, but I'm going to go something different and go with uh, the brief period after tea on day four. Um, prior to that, England kind of roared back into the contest through Stuart Broad and Jofra Archer. Um, you know, really ripping through Australia's top order there. But after the tea break, it was quite emphatic. Um, England threw the ball to Leach to to open up after the tea break. Second ball, Smith skips down and just slaps him straight back over his head for four. Really set the tone for that session. And from there, you know, with some good support from Wade, they really took the game away again from England. I mean, to be honest, Australia was still in control at that point. But it just kind of said, you're not coming back from this. You know, it was just a supreme batter at the top of his game. Really almost taking the urine and just saying, I'm the man. This is what I do. And from there, it was all Australia
1: correct answer is uh, the noble. Uh It was 6 for 273. You just can't give Steve Smith a second chance. He loves batting so much. In fact, he said uh, that was his overriding emotion. He goes, how good I get to go out there and bat again. <laughs> He's, all those uh, theories about him playing left arm spin poorly. I mean, he averages 34 against left arm spin, which is not that terrible. It's not like it's like five or six, is it? But uh, yeah, Steve Smith, don't give him a second chance. Uh, you're, th- there's no wrong answer here, but... That one, just told it, that, us that you just told us there was. That one is more right than the, uh, than your options. Okay, I uh, haven't seen that before. There's a couple of things in this test match that uh, are new to us. David Warner has not scored a pair before this test match and he got out for 0 in both innings. David Warner just ran the wicket. He just can't seem to get away from Stuart Broad at the moment. Six out of eight innings. This is kind of
2: a vague... Memories of two thousand and five, and Andrew Flintoff bowling at Adam Gilchrist. And like Gilchrist has said in subsequent years that he used to wake up in the middle of the night and he'd see Freddie Flintoff coming around the wicket at him. I don't think it was that. It, I think it was a hallucination. I don't think Freddie was there in his hotel room coming around the wicket at him. But uh, where were
1: the ghosts? Was that in two thousand and five?
2: Yeah, it was two thousand and five. That was in Durham, but that was uh, more a Shane Watson issue. He had to sleep on Brett Lee's floor. It's the all-rounders. But, uh, that wasn't the ghost of Freddie Flintoff, um, but. You'd have to think that David Warner's in the same space now. He must. He, he, he wanted to take it on in the second inning, so he'd had, got the first innings duck. Faced up again, he could have said to Marcus Harris, you take the first over from Broad, but he wanted to you know, kind of put that ghost to rest, as it were, and it just didn't work again. And the, the sort of, the wry smile on his face as he walked off just suggested to you, I'm out of answers here, I don't know what to do, and... Uh, You wonder whether he changes everything in the fifth test. I mean, you can imagine that Broad's going to open the bowl and come around the wicket at him if it happens again. I don't don't know where we go from there.
1: Mm. How about uh, Ben Stokes walking? I haven't seen players walk for a long time. Ben Stokes, ultimate competitor, but I guess with the DRS around, that was a fairly clear inside edge through to Tim Payne. The slips cord knew. Bowl didn't really really pick it up. Pat Cummins didn't really see it, but... uh, Walking, that was a bit of a shock for everyone.
3: It was, you're right, we don't see it too often. Um, But I think, yeah, on the the one hand, we do have DRS now and it's quite clear cut that that would have been given and Payne seemed confident that there was an edge. So um, despite his record with DRS this series, you would think that he would have gone upstairs anyway and um, we would have got the same result. On the other hand, Payne's record with the DRS hasn't been great, so you never know. So, I mean, for Stokes to, to walk is telling but we got the same result we probably would have got anyway so play on
2: maybe that's why he walked he didn't want them to get a successful review well that's right ruin that record it's
1: just mental disintegration on all kinds of levels uh remember you, you went there when gilly walked in the 2003 world cup were you
2: i wasn't but i was at a game at uh, canterbury in 2005 or one day against bangladesh when he walked and he hadn't hit it it bounced out of the bowler's footmarks and went to slip Mm. And uh, he just turned and walked. And Ricky Ponting, was the other end, who was furiously calling him back, saying "You didn't hit that. Um, when he got to the change rooms, had a look at the TV, and he realised he hadn't. It was all a bit late. Do you think, I mean, DRS has been around for a while now, but is it time for players to
1: start walking more? Or do they just run the gauntlet again with the DRS? I mean, they're going to get found out if it's pretty obvious. But I guess bowlers aren't, aren't going to stop appealing if they know that a, a batter's inside edge the ball onto their, onto their pads, are they?
2: I reckon that uh, the LBW shout that came on the last day when it took them forever to try and work out whether Craig Overton had squeezed the ball onto his pad via his bat and there was never no definitive uh, proof that he had. I think that would encourage people to stay around, I would have thought. like, If there's just even the slightest doubt or they can see a ripple on the snickometer that might be a noise of something, a you know, brush of the glove or a passing insect or uh, something, the man at short leg burping, it, it could be anything, so they might just hang around and try their luck.
1: Were you a Walker Callum?
2: <laughs> I wasn't around long enough to have a choice. Um,
3: no, there's no, there's no need to walk. I mean, there's a couple of blokes out there who are tasked with making decisions like that, and then even then, there's a whole system in place to correct decisions that are wrong. So, as much as as much fun as it is to say, "Good on you, Ben Stokes," and "You're a cheat, Stuart Broad," when they do or don't walk, I mean. There's absolutely no obligation in my books.
1: Okay, that's the book we go off, Cal. Uh, the unforgettable moment. A couple of twos from here, but is it uh, as simple as Smith couldn't that, that 200, the no ball and then the win? Australia, they haven't quite broke the drought yet, the 18-year drought, that uh, without winning a, an Ashes series in England, but they're going to take the urn home, which they haven't done since 2001. But uh, what moment stands out for you is
2: unforgettable there's those moments. The moment that would stick in my mind probably overall is just Manchester. Like it was a terrific atmosphere with a big party stand there, 8,500 people, the biggest temporary stand in the known world or in Europe, one of the other. They call it the permanent
1: temporary stand?
2: It comes out when they have bands and concerts and things there. Um, and then the pitch, I think that was a cracker of a test pitch. Like it you know, did just enough. It didn't fall apart. It didn't stay together like the one at Headingley did, which was you know, perfect for batting on on day four. Um and I had a sunny day yes the last day of the test match didn't get interrupted by rain and I think the last time that's happened in Manchester was 1651 I checked that out um, it was back in the days of when Charles II was uh, curating there so uh, that's quite a coup I think that's memorable you'll never forget that one
3: what was a press box feed like then Rambo?
2: Uh, slow. so It came through uh, a uh, hot metal type. They were just inventing the Gutenberg printing press at that stage. So uh, deadlines were pretty tight, but um, it was a cracking match.
1: You've got an unforgettable moment, Cal, as it stands out for you, apart
2: from the, the sunny day on day five.
1: I'm
3: going to go with Steve Smith again. Yep. I'm going one particular shot, and that was the one to bring up his half century in the first innings, where he got down on one knee, his back knee, the ball got away from him and he just launched himself at it flung it through the offside to bring up the half century it was the kind of shot i'm not sure i've seen too often in test cricket you often see it from aaron finch in the shorter formats where he kind of realizes he's not quite anywhere near the ball and just throws his whole body into the shot and whacks it over the offside
1: extraordinary from an extraordinary player we actually asked Steve Smith about that shot. Here it is now.
2: Just kind of a see the ball, hit ball kind of thing. I actually think I actually thought it was an in-swinger, so I thought it was going to be a bit close to me, and it kept going away, and I thought, I've committed here. Um, might as well just keep swinging at it, and fortunately hit the middle of the bat and went to the boundary.
1: Forgettable moments. Uh, not too many in this game. There was one involving Tim Payne and David Warner and Edge. Pat Cummins bowled that fantastic 10-over spell either the side of T uh, without getting a wicket. Uh, fantastic spell of bowling, but he did create a chance Uh, a leading edge, I guess, went through first and uh, between first slip and the weak keeper. Keeper's catch, I mean, those guys, uh, I've done very well this series and David Warner took six catches in the third test match, but uh, that one slipped through them.
2: There's a theory, isn't it, if it goes to the right of the keeper off a right-handed batsman, it's always the keeper's catch, but I I think David Warner proved that theory wrong at Headingley, didn't he? He took about three or four catches to his left from a right-handed batsman, so... Maybe that's what was in Tim Payne's mind. He thought that David Warner had that one covered. Maybe he was just wrong-footed. It, was, uh, it moved very late and it looked like he was going to play it on the, the leg side, so maybe his balance was slightly... Who knows? Um, it probably didn't prove to be hugely costly in the, the grand scheme of things, um, but it was, wasn't a great look, was it? Neither person moves. They've both got their hands ready for the catch and the, the, no one makes a, a move at it. It's a tough one to, uh, to explain away. As a bowler, Callum, what's going through your head when you see that happen? As a bowler? Yeah. As well, me as a bowler. bowler
3: um, you, <laughs> it's slightly different, but you've seen it quite a bit with Stuart Broad throughout the series, haven't we, where um, there's been drop catches in the cordon off his bowling and he's never been one to hide his emotions and he certainly um, let that show. But oh, look, there are certain times um, I think you can get frustrated, but other times you just have to roll with the punches and um I think while Australia are up about there they're more than happy to let the occasional one like that slide.
1: Must say Pat Cummers took it pretty well then. He didn't seem to be too flustered or frustrated.
3: No, not at that point. He did get frustrated on that final day at one point mm. which was quite interesting but uh, A bit of time
1: wasting. Yeah. Okay, and the last forgettable moment I guess is and you brushed up on it, Cal, is uh, the DRS, Tim Payne really didn't hasn't still hasn't mastered it, has he? I mean It's been pretty well known that he just can't seem to get one right. Can we come up with a strategy for Tim? Have we got any ideas about how best for him to start using the DRS? Does he just flip a coin? Does he just absolutely um, get rid of it and only use it for those dead set certain ones that he knows there's been a definite edge like the Stokes one if there's been an inside edge on a bat, something like that?
2: Or does he just keep going with his gut? I think if you're going to go with your gut, you maybe have to... Re- invoke the reverse principle. like If he thinks it's not out, then I would probably go with it then because clearly the ones that he's being told or he believes are out that aren't out, he's getting either bad information or someone's radar is a little bit uncalibrated. So those ones that you think are out, say, Well, clearly it's not going to be when I review it. So the ones that look like they're you know, six inches outside the leg stump and you think that's no way that's going to hit, maybe we'll give a, that one a go. Mm. You're not going to be any worse. Well, it's not going well, is it? You get the feeling that Tim Payne feels the same way
3: about using the DRS that David Warner does about facing Stuart Broad. He almost feels defeated in many ways before he even has a crack. You yeah. see the way Warner reacts when he get, got out to Broad in that second innings and he just, he almost laughed as soon as he got out, didn't he? Because it was, as bad as it sounds, it was almost inevitable. And you almost feel like Payne feels the same way about when he sends one upstairs. He just, he almost knows what's going to come back, but he,
2: Can't help himself anyway. So you're suggesting that Tim Payne wakes up in the dead of night uh, and sees only one red light and then realises it's just the TV on standby? (laughs) (laughs) I get the sense it's a bit like Roger
1: Federer with the challenge system in tennis. He doesn't like it. So when there's a close call and he's not sure, he just throws it up there just because he can. Um, I'm sure Rog, being born on the same day as him, shares similar thoughts on that. So uh, he would much rather not have the challenge system in tennis. Maybe Payne is a bit old school. Wouldn't want the, the DRS, but... Certainly hasn't been able to master it this series. Uh, rapid stat. Remember the um the one about the, the sunny day in sixteen whatever it
2: was. Sixteen ninety one. Sixteen
1: ninety one was fantastic. Um a lot of stats. This test match about Steve Smith, yeah, he has six Ashes hundreds in England, which is more than any England player ever. It's kind of kind of extraordinary.
2: they uh, do play a lot of Ashes tests in England. England don't they like mm. you would think that someone by now someone back in the day Jeff Boycott or Len Hutton or someone
1: or someone you know, Hobbs, Hobbs. would have got six and long, but uh, amazing that he's got more than any other English player in their own backyard uh, that's fairly phenomenal
3: just to take that one step further I believe since Smith debuted in test cricket only Root and Cook have more tons in England there you go or well, was that 2010
2: wow I also stumbled across an, a nugget somewhere that he's uh, now got 11 test entries against England and only Bradman of all test nations has scored more test entries against England. Even greats like Garfield Sobers only had 10. Mm. So, uh, And you just start to wonder how many more tests against England Stephen Smith could play. If he plays for another eight years, there's another at least 10, maybe 15 more tests. Yeah, Ian,
3: Ian Bell was the other one, sorry with more tons
1: in England since Smith debuted. Not bad, going from Steve Smith. He's also got nine 50-plus scores on the bounce against England, which is a record in Ashes cricket and a record, a joint record held with ul Huck against any nation. So if he gets another 50 at the Oval, he'll have it all to himself, Ashes, and world record.
3: Decent record at the Oval as well. Yes, we'll get to that a little bit later and on. I
2: can't prove this, but I th- suspect he's done, run more quick singles than Inzamam did.
1: Well, I, don't know, I don't know how we were to get on that one, but we'll um, we'll send it out to the Twitterverse and see if anyone can... Marza! Let's get Marza on it. He'd He'll kn- have that stat. He would know. He would absolutely know. Lots of. He's also got 671 runs in the series, only uh, four other players. Well, only four other times, should I say, because Bradman did it a couple of times. have got more runs for an Australian in England in an Ashes series. So, bulk stats for the next episode. Okay, so what does it all mean? Uh, four tests wrapped up. It's 2-1 Australia. They've retained the Ashes. Uh, is it, it's not mission accomplished just yet, is it? I guess there would, would have been two goals. Justin Langer said they're not here to win at Edgbiston. They're not here to win at Old Trafford, but they're here to retain the Ashes and win them. So... If they've got uh, two boxes to tick, they've ticked one.
2: It's interesting that someone said today that it uh, was an unusually vehement celebration for you know, just going ahead in the series when they could still end up having a tied series. Mm-hmm. It's not Normally that sort of celebration is when you've won the series, but clearly to have secured the urn over here, which hasn't happened since 2001, to do it in the circumstances they did after... You know, defeat at Headingley out of nowhere and then having looked like they might not be able to quite clinch Victor in the last day at Old Trafford seemed to get them up and about um, and it just showed what it, how much it did mean to them, how much planning's gone into it, how much effort they've put into getting that hands on that trophy so the question now is whether they can steam on into the Oval or whether they've uh, maybe, you know, it's the week after grand final, there's a bit of a letdown effect. Yeah,
1: I kind of got that sense with England that they did kind of play their grand final at Headingley. I mean, that would have taken so much out of them to pull that fixture off and, f- and Ben Stokes and look what happened to him in that fourth test. His shoulders gone, didn't get a, a big score like he did in the previous two test matches. Uh, Cal, what's it going to mean to the side if they can't get a result at the Oval? I mean, they, all they need is a draw to, re- to win the Ashes, break that drought since 2001. It'd be a pretty flat feeling to, to finish off what's been a fantastic campaign. We
3: now find ourselves in the situation where if England can win this final test, both teams would come away feeling quite deflated, I feel, in Australia letting that opportunity slip where they've essentially dominated three tests so far with one still to come. They did let that one headingly slip. England, it's been a long, long summer for them. Obviously, the World Cup triumph will kind of um, you know, overshadow a, a lot of things for them, but It's been a tough test series. They'll have a new coach after this. A lot of question marks around various players in their lineup. So if they can somehow pinch this test, those question marks would still remain. Australia will leave with a drawn series and kind of let that opportunity slip. So still a lot to play for. Australia will be so determined to win this this final test. And if they don't, then um, everyone will leave feeling pretty flat. I think.
2: And as so far as the grand final effect goes, I think England may also have played their grand final in the World Cup final. There's been mm. you know so many times you can bounce back from that sort of euphoria, isn't there? And keep them. So it's quite remarkable the amount of cricket they've had to play this summer and the amount of scrapes they've got themselves into and found a way out. Maybe they've just run out of answers when, it, uh, when they need them at the end of the summer. Yeah, I heard someone
1: say that they've, they've used up all their miracles. They used two in the World Cup final, they used one in Headingley. They might be out of it now, and I guess one of the big things we'll, we'll reflect on this at the end of the series. But one of the, the big turning points for them was James Anderson going down and not being able to come back. He would have made, you would think, make such an impact. A goal with 575 Test wickets. Their third seamer hasn't been as effective as Australia's third seamer in this series. You look at Wokes has not been at his best since the World Cup. Uh, Archer's come in, but then Overton's come in, so it's domino effect there. But we'll touch on that. Um, Touch on that next week after the fifth Test match. There's also another tournament being played, a tournament within a tournament, a bit of an inception going on here, called the World Test Championship. And Australia currently are fourth on the ladder of the World Test Championship, uh, despite having as many wins as the top-ranked side, India. So it's uh, very confusing at the moment. Uh, I would hate to see a team not make the final, having more wins, because you only get Certain number of points depending on the length of the series. India beat the West Indies two-nil, are on 120 points. Australia have won two and drawn one game against England in four Test matches and are on 56 points. So they might need to be a bit of tweaking there
2: somehow. But it uh, reminds of- me a bit of the early. Numbers that come in on election night, isn't it? Like you've got results from three ballots in the the back end of Eden Monaro and people are saying, Well, I can think I'm detecting a swing here. I can detect I know who's gonna be on top of the World Test Championship in two years time and then suddenly you, you, by four hours later they're saying, Well I think we got that wrong. Clearly that swing hasn't materialized and it's situation normal. So I would suggest we just get Anthony Green in at some point and he can tell us who's <laughs> gonna play off in the final of the Test Championship.
1: We need someone, it, but it just disadvantages teams that play in five test series. They have to basically sweep it, otherwise, uh, teams like India who play a lot of shorter series. I mean, Australia, the only one, Australia, England, and England and India, Australia, England, and India, the only teams that play in five test match series. So, disadvantage for those guys.
3: What's your What's your answer, Sam?
1: Well, you either make them all the same length series. Or Impossible. You, or impossible or you come up with a different scoring system <laughs> which I don't have the answer to. But Marza again? Marza Marza, if you're listening, please come up with something. But as it stands, Australia are in fourth. In fact, uh Sri Lanka they're in third spot with only one win. So anyway, that'll um
2: Where's England with one win?
1: England, they're in fifth spot. They're on thirty two points a win and a draw. Um so yeah, that's where we're at at the moment. Windy's, South Africa, Bangladesh, Pakistan need to get off the mark, although the bottom three teams I just mentioned haven't played a game yet. So um, one win for them, they might be ahead of Australia. Okay, next steps. Uh, Australia, both teams have have arrived in London. They're going to have a big hit out on Tuesday. Uh, Team news for Australia, by the sense of things and the win probably suggest that the batting order won't change. I mean, there's a couple of guys who haven't performed at their best this series, Dave Warner being one, Marcus Harris come- since coming in those last two test matches um, and averaging 11 and a bit. Um, Travis Head and Matthew Wade have had some important knocks. Apart from Wade's 100, there haven't been in any really substantial scores there, but a winning side, hard to change, get experience. To them. The bowling attack will be interesting, what they do with the likes of Hayeswood and Cummins who have bowled a lot of overs particularly Cummins um, is it time for a rest? I mean this isn't a dead rubber as we know so they've got to try and win this game it's Cummins plays his fifth test match in a trot I mean he's a very fit guy, his speed didn't drop in that final day, what are we thinking? I guess is it going to come down to conditions? Is it as simple as that or do Hayeswood and Cummins need rest?
2: Oh, you have to think that if they've got so many bowlers they then they've always had this squad mentality that you know, they've park their egos as Tim Payne said in his post-match press conference at Old Trafford so maybe they just say to Pat Cummins look under normal circumstances you'd play but we've got these fit guys this oval pitch looks like it's going to be pretty flat the London forecast looks like it's going to be quite fine and even low twenty. so it might be a a grueling if someone gets in on a pitch like that they, they might be have to bowl a lot of overs and with only three seamers and a spinner do you want him to have to put him through that sort of workload or do you let the fresh guys go now that the ashes have been secured I think that's a a conversation they'd probably be having Um, it might actually give us a steer on how this squad mentality thing works if they successfully argue that case and they they let a couple of fresh bowlers loose Um, but it might depend on what they see in the pitch when they get there to the oval tomorrow
3: I think it's going to be hard to leave out either of Hazelwood and Cummins given how they performed the only the only way I can see either of them being rested as if they've kind of flagged any niggles or anything to suggest there might be something to be worried about but um, I mean we've seen with Pat Cummins the past couple of years he's turned into the workhorse. The, mm. the marathon man is no longer the, the injury prone fast bowler so if he's fit and firing I think I think you have to play him and you know I think certainly that's third quick Stark showed glimpses of what he's capable of at Old Trafford but um yeah, again, conditions will probably dictate what they do there. Siddles on the sidelines. Do you unleash Pattinson again, give him one last crack in this final test? It's going to be a big call to make.
1: Kind of seem to think that the, the plan for Pattinson has been play one, miss one. So it sounds like he'd be right to play at the Oval. England have named it unchanged 13-player squad for the fifth test match. However, uh, Ben Stokes is going to have to go... Through some fitness tests on his right shoulder, which uh, ruled him out from bowling in Australia's second innings in Manchester. If he can only play as a specialist batsman, one of Chris Wokes and Sam or Sam Curran are going to play and replace a batter. Who they replace might be your boy, Jason Roy Rambo, who, after predicting he'll get 180 in every innings this test series, is yet to get to 40 what's his aggregate it must be close to 180 it'd be, it'd be pretty close I mean what's he averaging here 13.75 been uh, very unlucky
2: sometimes so some cracking dismissals, some
1: cracking deliveries there uh, Joss Butler 16.25 uh, Johnny Bairstow who is the wick twenty four, twenty five. 25 he's averaging and then Joe Danley 25.5 as well and then I'm going to drop the skipper Joe Root, who's averaging 31 so if uh, Stokes can't bowl who do we think might make way for one of Woke's or Curran, and it's Curran's home ground, so I would kind of think they might lean towards him for this test match, but which batter do you think might make way?
2: Oh, as much as it pains me to say it, I think probably Jason Roy's in the firing line. He, the others have shown, certainly Joe Denley in the last couple of tests has dug in um, for a couple of half centuries. Rory Burns, obviously, picks himself. Joe Roots, maybe the batsman who's struggling the most, three ducks in the series. Um, has shown enough butler showed enough in the last uh, couple of innings um, suggests that he may be finding some form so the question is then how they Shuffle that batting order again you can't if Ben Stokes arms about to fall off and he can't bowl you must think it restricts his batting to some point um, so do you push him up to number four um, put even more responsibility on him if he's going to play as a specialist batter does that make that decision easier to make um, so Curran can bat He's a bit of a lower-order slogger, but he can score quickly and can certainly hold a bat. Um, So, yeah, I would think Jason Roy's probably the one in the cross here, which is very disappointing because I've backed him in for a score.
3: You mentioned the batting order reshuffle there. Rambo, we haven't needed a reminder of how bizarre and brutal Test Creek can be. It is Jason Roy dropping down the order and then in the second innings coming out to face the fifth ball of the innings and facing a ball before new opener Joe Denley. (laughs) Yeah. Cricket, hey! What Good a wild thing he sport. Had those skills, that's right. <laughs> he
1: got through it, didn't he? Um, so yeah, we'll have to wait and see. I imagine that will be a toss, um, toss time decision for that. But uh, yeah, assessment. So all, all eyes will be on Stakes's shoulder over the next couple of days. We're going to finish the show with "Play It or Leave It."
3: I'm Pat Cummins. Now it's time for "Play It or Leave It."
1: Cal, you have you participated in this game before? Of course, you would have. Yep. How's your record? Horrendous. Okay. I'm due. It's going to be evenly matched between you and Rambo then. Um, Very easy. I'm going to bowl you a scenario. You're going to tell me if you're going to play it or leave it. We'll start off with a very simple one. Steve Smith to score another century at the Oval. He's played two tests there. Two hundreds. And he only needs 29 to average 100 in the series if he gets dismissed twice. But we're talking about centuries. Will he get
2: another one? I would play that and say yes, uh, because simply he's only really got himself out. They've, like, England's bowlers have got him out once, I think, when he nicked off uh, in the second innings at Edgbiston. Otherwise, you know, it was first innings there, he was knocked over trying to chase quick runs, bowled by a Yorker, I think. You know, at Lords, he clearly wasn't right when he came back out to bat and left a ball that he would never normally leave that was going to knock him over. Um Both times at Old Trafford, he was out playing big shots after having scored major runs. So I don't see how, unless if they've got a plan to get him out, they haven't used it yet.
1: Yeah, and when they did get him out, it was a no ball.
3: I'm going to play it as well for what it's worth. In fact, I'll go as far to say it's my lock of the week. (laughs) Um, Why don't you come up with something like that, Rainbow? What was your lock of last week? (laughs) Oh, it's first time. I'm on debut here, so (laughs) don't mention that, Rambo. Um, I mean, Rambo's 100% right. I think if this last test was a dead rubber, it would be slightly different because the only thing that is getting him out at the moment is boredom, essentially, and I think there's enough to play for here where he will be really hungry to kick on and um, stamp his authority on the game once again. So as soon as he wants to do that,
1: it's how
3: many does he want to make, and he'll do it.
1: Okay. Both playing at that one. Uh, he's number one batter in the world, the number one bowler in the world. Has 24 wickets at the moment. Uh, Pat Cummins. Pat Cummins finished with 30 wickets in the series, averaging six a test match. Got to keep that rate up. Uh, the last Aussie to do that in England, Shane Warne took 40 in 2005. The last Aussie quick to do it in England was four years earlier than that. Uh, Glenn McGrath, 2001, the last time Australia won the Ashes in England. He took 32 wickets in that series. So Pat Cummins... To finish with thirty wickets or more,
3: I'm gonna, oh, I'm gonna leave it and say he'll just miss out. He'll grab, he'll grab five at the Oval, finish with twenty nine. Still a very good series, but he'll just miss that thirty mark. I think
1: you got to think, is he gonna play Rambo? What are you, you gonna play it or leave this one?
2: Well, that's what I thought. I'd leave it because I think they might just give him a spell. Like he, he's clearly the workload he's had. As I said, under normal circumstances, you wouldn't even consider it. But um, you've got fast bowlers, James Pattinson. You've uh, you've got Josh Hazelwood. You've got Mitchell Stark. They might even look at Peter Siddle, who bowled at the Oval four years ago, came back in and bowled like a jet there. Six Um, wickets, yep. So the only reason I would leave it is that maybe they'll just say, Pat, look after yourself. Okay.
1: Uh, Australia to get in the position to enforce... The follow-on. Now, the last time Australia enforced the follow-on on foreign soil was four years ago in the corresponding fixture, Michael Clarke's last test match. He'd never done it in his captaincy career, but he did it in his last test match. Australia went on to win that game by an innings. Bit needs to go their way, but Australia to enforce the follow-on.
2: Uh, no, I might leave that one because uh, fifth test of the series, like you're asking a lot of your bowlers, even if they were fresh and coming out of a six-month hibernation, I think, uh, to enforce the follow-on. Um... And part of the rationale often for enforcing the follow-on is that you want to sort of smash the other team mentally that they've been so scarred by what's happened in the first. I, don't know, I think they probably don't need to do that at this point. They can uh, make sure of it. You go out and bat for a while again, build the lead, and then back your bowlers who have, uh, have, to to have time to put their feet up and refresh. So, no, I think I'll leave that.
3: I'm going to leave it as well because it won't happen. Do I need to give any more of a reason than that.
2: <laughs> that's fine.
1: He's much well, more succinct than me, isn't he? That's uh, at the end of the tour, mate. I'm clutching here. Okay, uh, Tim Payne has taken 16 catches this uh, series, averaging roughly for a Test match. Yep. Yet to get a stumping. So Tim Payne to pull off a stumping in the fifth Test.
2: Yeah, I might play that. He would have got one in the first test at Edgbaston when Jason, my man Jason Roy <laughs> raced down the pitch missed called one and immediately took off so he would he would have it would have been borderline as to whether he was stumped or run out but unfortunately the ball <laughs> hit the stumps and he was bowled instead so um, that was a missed we put that down as a missed stumping okay. um, uh, even if Jason Roy doesn't play someone else will do that it'd be a rush of blood and yes I think uh, I'm going with it
3: I'm going to play it as well and I'm going to say it'll be off
1: Manus Labashane's Bowling. Wow. No extra points for being that specific, but I oh. uh, appreciate it. Just for the record, Johnny Besto hasn't pulled up a stumping either. No stumpings in this series. Should we open it up? Will there be one at all? I wonder when the last Ashes series uh, was when there wasn't one stumping. Marza. Mar- Marza. <laughs> You've got a couple on your plate, mate. <laughs> Need to lift it. Okay, finally. The last... Uh, I'm going to throw you, is uh, Australia to win the Ashes.
2: I'm going to play it. I think the, the England's long, arduous, sometimes successful, sometimes sort of nerve-jangling summer must have taken a toll um, to rouse themselves now and get up for a big win. Um, I just think if they get behind in the game, as they have been in the last two games, that it's going to be tough to claw back. So I would back them to win at the Oval Australia and claim the urn in its own right.
1: Break the drought.
2: Yeah, I'll play it as well. Um,
3: I think Australia being so dominant for the most part throughout the series, obviously um, Steve Smith has contributed largely to that. And I guess the concern that we've mentioned potentially is that coming off such a high, retaining the Ashes and, and backing that up. But I think with people like Justin Langer and Tim Payne there, I don't think that will be too much of an issue because they'll be so hell-bent on getting that that series win, the drought-breaking series win, that I think
1: they will be able to finish the job, bring it back, 3-1. Beautiful. Steve Waugh is in the camp, the last Australian captain to win an Ashes series in Australia. He's very proud of his records, but I think he would be happy to let that one go and let this Australian team be the latest team to win an Ashes series in England.
2: And as Peter Siddle told us, recently he'll have a story to go with it too he'll oh, end up making a century in this test but are, somehow <laughs>
1: that's right well that's it for this week's episode big thank you to Mastercard, to Andrew Ramsey
2: thank you Sam
1: and to Carl Kononik we might get you back for the last one really no probably not okay Uh, see you next year we'll be back next week to wrap up the fifth test match and the Ashes series Um, but until then for all your Ashes live scores breaking news and video highlights head to cricket.com.au and the CA live app